Hello, pharmacists and friends. Today is May 2nd, 2023. Welcome to The Regimen, where public health pharmacists, pharmacy students, and our guests discuss the latest public health issues. Listen to find out how pharmacists and pharmacy students like me can improve population health, health equity, and patient care through advocacy and education. My name is Brindley Rose Parson. I am a final year pharmacy student at the University of Rhode Island, working with the Rhode Island Department of Health alongside my professor, Dr. Bratberg. Hello and welcome again. I'm Jeff Bratberg. I'm a clinical professor of pharmacy practice and clinical research at the College of Pharmacy and the academic collaborations officer at the Rhode Island Department of Health. As a reminder to our listeners, the opinions expressed in this podcast by the hosts and guests do not represent the opinions of the United States government, the Rhode Island Department of Health, nor the University of Rhode Island. Thanks for the introduction. And so on deck for today is an exciting interdisciplinary conversation on oral health. Today, you can expect to learn more about how crucial oral hygiene is to our overall health, the impact of social determinants of health on dental care, and how pharmacists and dentists can work together to improve patient care. We are thrilled to be joined today by Dr. Connie Wang, who is a DMD, Doctor of Medicine and Dentistry candidate at Tufts University, and who holds her PharmD from our very own University of Rhode Island College of Pharmacy. Dr. Wang is also a dental community manager at Coco Floss, which is an oral care and wellness company that makes specialty floss, notably in the most fun flavors. On top of her education and a marketing background, Dr. Wang is also the host of her very own successful podcast titled Just a Quick Pinch, a place for young women in healthcare to discuss lifestyle topics with segments such as chief complaints and healthcare horoscopes. Dr. Wang, thank you so much for joining us today. Please feel free to introduce yourself to our listeners and give us a little bit more about yourself and your background. Yeah, thank you so much for having me today. I'm so excited. I feel like it was literally just yesterday that I was sitting in Dr. Bratford's class. I know exactly what seat I was in in 170. My friends and I had our row. I remember him and his like fun presentations. He always had such a way of presenting and making class fun. So it's really like full circle and really cool to be back with you guys. And I, I've, I've worked with Brindley before with like LKS and all of our organizations. So I feel very welcome here. So thanks so much for having me. <laughs> Of course, we are so happy to have you on. And that's so funny you were talking about the full circle moment because I was just with Dr. Bratberg. I think like over the past two weeks, he's been doing some infectious disease lectures for the P1s. And so it's brought back a lot of memories for myself as well. So I guess to kind of start off our topic on talking about oral health today, um, let's give our listeners a little bit of background. And so I think it's really important that when we do think about public health, that we really think about health in all aspects really. And oral health is one in particular that can really impact our well-being and a lot of other components of our health. And beyond that, it's also our mouth is where we talk, where we eat, where we smile. And so that's a really important factor of health to think about. But notably, without proper oral hygiene and care from professionals like Dr. Wang, tooth decay, gum disease can lead to further problems, but especially issues like accessibility to care and lack of education on hygiene and other oral care issues could definitely contribute to poor outcomes as well. Um, so part of today's discussion, discussion is going to be on how oral health impacts overall health and a lot of other factors beyond that. Um, but before we get into those questions on that, Connie, you have such a unique perspective as someone with both a background in pharmacy and dentistry as well. And so I'd love for you to tell us a little bit about how you first became interested in dentistry and then what aspects of the profession that you're most passionate about. Yeah, of course. So it's funny, the way that I describe my finding dentistry, it's kind of 
it's kind of similar to dating in a sense. So like, for example, you know how you're on like a good date with someone and you're like, you know what, this is fine. They're nice. They're nice. There's nothing wrong with them. But you don't feel that spark maybe. And that's kind of how I felt all throughout pharmacy school. I was like, this is really great. I have my pom-poms. I want to like cheer for everything that we're doing. But in my heart of hearts, I just didn't have that spark. And it's like, a, it's not you, it's me kind of thing. And so I had to do a lot of soul searching, especially during my P1 year of pharmacy school when I was like, wow, I really don't feel like I've found it yet. I mean, reflecting on how I've been ever since I was a child, I've been a very, um, I guess you could say like multi-passionate kind of person. I loved working with my hands, building things, arts and crafts. And so, I mean, I never really thought that there would be a career out there where I could fulfill it all until uh, my P1 year, I was actually um, hanging out with my brother-in-law, Mike, who was a dentist. And he just like me, loves arts and crafts, building things, working with his hands. And I was just kind of in this like burnout phase. I'm sure everyone remembers like that summer after P1 year, you're just trying to recover really. And so I was just kind of like, is there something else out there for me? Like, could life be better than this? I was willing to just accept that that was just what my path was. But then, you know, I really, I decided like, okay, I'll start shadowing him. And then it kind of happened very slowly, but also very fast all at once. It's hard to describe. Like the second I stepped into the dental office, I was like, this feels right. Um, I loved how it was a setting where it felt like comfortable to me in a sense that was different than the hospital setting. I had previously worked as a hospital pharmacy technician. Um, and so, you know, the luxury of being able to kind of do both was like, I would go to pharmacy school during the day and then I would work as a dental assistant. Also when I like didn't have classes and just kind of comparing and contrasting while I was going to school for pharmacy really let me hone in on what it was about dentistry that I loved, which I learned was, you know, I love the immediate ability I am to impact a patient from the second they sit in my chair. I can do a filling. I can instantly take away pain. I can change someone's sense of self-confidence, the way they look in the mirror. I can change how someone uh, experiences like life really like the best way I can describe why I love dentistry is like let's say you know you're graduating from school and you want to go celebrate with your family you go out to eat like a steak dinner right that steak dinner it's celebrating more than just eating steak right but for someone that can't eat their favorite foods anymore like that takes away their ability to celebrate those big life moments the celebrations all of that and so I recognize that like, yes, on a fundamental, I'm working on, like, I hate saying like just teeth, but the thing is I'm really like changing how someone experiences celebrations, high points, low points in their life, how they sleep at night, how they feel when they, when they wake up for a big job interview and look in the mirror. So I feel like long story short, I just really feel like such a rock star because I can change so many different parts of my patients' lives and I get to kind of be with them for all of those big life moments as well. That is so amazing. And I think you described it really well. Being able to impact someone's quality of life in one appointment is definitely so impactful and definitely so special for each of those patients that you're working with. And so to kind of take a step back, like before a patient is even sitting in your chair, let's talk a little bit about preventative care. Um, so it's well known that proper oral hygiene is very, very important for preventing things like periodontal disease and other oral complications. And so I would love to get your perspective on how else does oral health impact an individual's overall health? Yeah. So, I mean, this is like such a loaded question, you know, because like, that's what I went to school for, for, for the past four years. So I mean, even just breaking down the word hygiene, I've always felt like I wish that there was a better way to describe it. Because to me, hygiene is like putting on deodorant under your armpit so you don't smell, right? <laughs> Whereas with oral hygiene, people often forget, you know, with good reason, because society hasn't made us kind of um, put it on the same pedestal of importance as other 
parts of your body, like even our insurance is different, right? For some reason, society makes us treat dental care like it's more of like a haircut or like a nail salon appointment. Um, and so when, when we talk about the word hygiene, we're working with, you know, teeth, we're working with bone that holds in our teeth, we're working with blood, we're working with tissue. And so that's really a big picture reason why your oral health is so important to your body. Um, if I could, I think now would be a good time for me to kind of break down like two main areas of why oral hygiene is important, which is cavities and periodontal disease. Um, so I'm about to get really nerdy with you guys all, but this is just my passion. I can't help it. So you might have to sit through some uh, boring cavity talk. So let's say we wake up in the morning, we start with a clean slate, and then you eat a granola bar, right? The second that you put any sort of like carbohydrate, anything that's not really water into your mouth, the pH in your mouth starts to change. Your mouth is its own little like microbiome, right? So the reason why the pH changes and why this is important is because the bacteria in your mouth is actually fermenting those carbs and it's secreting acid. And so acid, like we know, acid can erode at things, just like your teeth enamel. So that's why we really care about the pH in your mouth is because once that bacteria starts secreting this acid, you start having acid erosion. That's really how cavities and tooth, uh, teeth, tooth decay forms. And so when we continue down this spiral, the more tooth decay you have, the more fragile your teeth get, the more susceptible you are to teeth breaking or to you know just having big chunks of decay. And then that can lead to infection. So this is really where you start to have that whole body communication because those infections can become you know like abscesses. They can travel to your heart, to your brain. And so it's kind of like a whole pathway. People kind of think for some reason, like the body stops here, right? And like, it's not going to communicate. <laughs> I, don't, I don't really understand why, but it's just the way that, you know, society has kind of told us. Um, and so, yeah, there's a lot of things like that we should look out for, like infections, cavernous sinus thrombosis, and like the, the danger triangle of your face. You have um, different pathways to infection with the fascia in your in your head and neck region. And so it can become really dangerously like a highway. And there have been, unfortunately, even in this modern day where we have um, some access to care and we have like antibiotics, there's still, we still see cases of people with, you know, unfortunate people have died from these infections. And so that's why I really care about teeth. It's not just, you know, like, oh, you have a cavity, let's patch it up. It's like, oh, what happens when, when it gets worse and progresses? So that's cavities on a big scale level. Then there's also something that people really know less about. And I'm really glad you guys mentioned it, which is periodontal disease. So like, I feel like when we watch those commercials of like four out of five dentists recommend this for whatever, we're just thinking about cavities, right? But the real thing that I learned about in dental school is how impactful periodontal disease is. For those of you guys that don't know, let's say now that you've eaten the granola bar, you're kind of sitting around all day and then that becomes plaque. Plaque is really just like a cluster of bacteria and like it's a sticky mass that stays on your teeth. Now what happens when you don't get rid of the plaque from brushing and flossing, it really hardens and it's basically like a fuzzy turtleneck sweater for your teeth, right? So like turtleneck sweaters are great in the winter, love a good turtleneck moment. In the summer, not so much, right? You can't always be wearing a turtleneck. It'll, it'll be like cutting you off, right? And that's kind of the idea with plaque removal is if you don't get there, that turtleneck's sitting on that tooth forever, right? that tooth is gonna get real angry real fast. Your gums are gonna get angry. When I say angry, what I really mean is inflammation. And so inflammation, you know, we learn in pharmacy school, like all of the cytokines and all of that happens in your gums too, right? And so what happens when you have enough inflammation over time, enough of that turtle's neck sweater that builds up, you have bone loss. And so I feel like that's where things start to get real when I explain to patients, 
it's not really, I, I don't care about that like chia seed that's stuck between your tooth, right? Like that's fine. I, I don't care about that. That's not what's gonna cause the problem. What's gonna cause the problem is over time losing that bone and then that's what holds in your teeth. So then losing your teeth, your teeth literally falling out of your mouth and you know all of that inflammation, it's also not good for the rest of your body. So to kind of go off of what you were asking about with the whole body, they have done studies where there's such a, there, there's now a proven link between diabetes and periodontal disease where um, if you have poor glycemic control, it can worsen your periodontal conditions. And also I thought this was really crazy is that if you improve your oral hygiene, your um, the amount of inflammation in your mouth, we also see similar levels of improvement with A1C and glycemic control. Um, so there's that. There's also, I mean, like so much infectious disease crossover too. As you know, there's like different like venereal warts that you can see that show up. There's different, um, for example, congenital syphilis also. You can see there's different signs like Hutchinson's incisors and mulberry molars. There's a lot of crossover between oral manifestations. And so that's why I think what you guys are doing by bringing the pharmacy and dental worlds together is really, really important is because pharmacists, pharmacists can learn about things like um, other oral manifestations. So for example, I don't know if we learned all of this in pharmacy school, but diabetes, you can also have things like um, diabetic sialadenitis, which is just like the enlargening of your parotids. You can also have with Crohn's disease, you can have like the snail marks in your oral mucosa. Um, you can have, if with B12 deficiency, you can have different sort of tongue patterns known as geographic tongue. There's so many different sneaky ways that like someone in their bathroom looking at their tongue might be like, oh, this is kind of strange, but actually are early sign markers of these whole body systemic conditions. Um, so, and one last thing I, I did want to mention too, it's funny, you guys are going to learn I'm very long-winded, I'm sorry. <laughs> um, but one last thing is that I feel like in pharmacy school, I learned to honor and cherish your kidneys and your liver, right? I'm like, that's like the gold thing in your body, right? In dental school, I learned saliva is gold. So saliva, I never would have thought about it, right? In pharmacy school, I rattled off xerostomia off that list of side effects during my OSCEs. I was like, yeah, xerostomia, just most likely it'll cause xerostomia, just throw it as a side effect. Xerostomia is actually really, really impactful for someone's quality of life. Not having saliva, like I said, saliva, buffers it helps neutralize that acid in your mouth when you are eating those carbs and things like that we need saliva for that we also need saliva the proteins in the saliva help keep your teeth healthy and it also helps your sensation how you talk if you can enunciate if you can taste your favorite foods or enjoy drinks the same way things actually don't taste or feel the same way like some people really can't enjoy their favorite foods anymore after they're diagnosed with things like Sjogren's or head and neck radiation and so saliva is really key. And that's another reason why I think it's so important to have that oral and whole body crossover. Um, you know, we know now with things like Sjogren's, patients are more at higher risk for non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. Um, and there's that crossover between autoimmune conditions like um, SLE and rheumatoid arthritis and Sjogren's. So it's very interconnected. And that's why I think paying attention to even little things like xerostomia or like feeling like someone has dry mouth can really make a huge difference on someone's overall health. That was fascinating. I feel like I've gone to dental school <laughs> and it's, you know, it's so fascinating is when I did internal medicine rotations and, and really, especially when I did infectious disease, I was trained and I was on infectious disease teams. I was so fascinated how honestly angry the medical specialist would be to say like, we have done all this diagnostic stuff to try to find these things and nobody 
looked at, you know, yes. the eye, like we tell the eye doctors, we didn't look in the eye to see the clot. We didn't look at the tongue to see, you know, Harry Leukoplakia and go, why are you not thinking HIV here? Like, I've seen that. I mean, I've seen the abscesses that go to the brain and you're sort yes. of like, we've done everything to optimize all these other care. They have access to meds, but nobody said, you know, brush twice a day. And meanwhile, and, and so to kind of combine these things, it's funny because I recently saw my dentist. And of course, every time there's a dentist person on, we all go, I know I didn't floss. Like, I know I didn't. <laughs> and I wanted to know, I just wanted to know your thoughts because yeah. my dentist, who I've had for like 20 years, and he's like given up to tell me to floss after every meal. And I think, okay, it's motivational interviewing. He's like, just floss before you go to bed. And he had the whole plaque story, told me the whole thing. So how have you used the skills like from pharmacy school, like motivational interviewing, meeting people where they're at in this sort of preventative dental world that you've, I think, very adequately described as we sort of ignore the mouth, even though we use it all the day for all these things. So like, how, tell me how you talk to patients and how you crossed over between those professions. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That's like my jam. That's my favorite thing. And that's why I love general dentistry is I think actually, and that's why I'm very thankful. I went to pharmacy school first. It's given me that understanding of how to talk to a patient. That's like, not like a robot, because I feel like there's, there's different ways to go about it. Right. And we're coming from um, a specialty that's already has a very high rate of like patients are anxious when they see us, they don't really believe us when we tell them they need to do stuff. And then also, I mean, just being like a patient of my own, like it's been, I understand after a long day, the last thing you want to do is floss, especially if you don't really fully understand like the reasoning why. So that's kind of like the first step of it is definitely like the education portion of it. I definitely try to, when I first meet my patient, I kind of try to assess where they're coming from. I'm like, all right, what's their favorite food? Is it steak? Good. I can tell that steak story. What do they have any exciting events coming up? Okay. I can prepare them for that aspect of it. I kind of see what's going on in their life. And then I approach my counseling points from there, just because I know that when educating patients, it's kind of less about me saying my piece and making sure that they hear what they need to hear in order to, you know, change their lifestyle, change their behavior. Um, I mean, a good old fashioned thing that really works on most patients actually is I inform them that not flossing it's really like not wiping after you go number two um that's like a good kind of visual to get a lot of people to understand um and I feel like besides that it's really just getting to know my patient well I feel like that's very underrated but when I understand like oh this person's not going to go for this I at least kind of know like how to set our expectations together and make the conversation feel more like a conversation about teamwork than it is about giving them a homework assignment, if that makes sense. I really like what you said about really making sure you're building those relationships with the patient. And that's something I definitely have to commend URI because I feel like we were trained really well to not be robots. And I think they trained us to be very personable practitioners. And so I think that's another really great skill that you have and that we're trained to do. Um, and so on that point, I liked how you're talking about kind of the counseling that you do with patients. And so I was kind of curious, I think, Many of us are familiar that we're all told by dentists and our oral hygienists to floss and all of that good stuff. But what are some ways that you think pharmacists could also help play a role in promoting better oral hygiene to kind of prevent all of these complications down the line? Because unfortunately, although we wish everyone was able to get access to a dentist as much as they could. I was just reading an article this morning about like so-called dental deserts. Um, so if someone is living in a very rural area where they don't have access to hygienists and cleanings and a dentist as much as they would like to. Um, so I, yeah, I would just love to get your thoughts on what do you, how do you think pharmacists could help play a role in promoting this? 
Yeah. So one thing I always, it's funny when I came to dental school, I always joked about how going to pharmacy school felt like going to acting school because I feel like we're one of the few schools that like we have our local theater troupe, like literally acting. And I remember being like so nervous for those. I remember being like, oh, I just, I, I felt like really like I had to prepare for a role every time I did that. And so I have to commend URI Pharmacy for that. They had a fun way of, of training us to get ready for this role. Um, I think the biggest thing, there's a, there's a number of things that pharmacists can do. The first thing that I've noticed, I think it all starts with provider attitude. So what I mean by that is patients look to you guys, they look to their MDs or their DOs, they, they look to their providers, their PTs, almost as a sense of guidance, right? So like think about the message it sends when sometimes let's say a patient says like, oh, I like skipped my last dental appointment. And then the provider goes, oh yeah, me too. Like what else is new, right? So like patients pick up on little things like that. And that's what I mean when I say we all have to kind of stick up for each other and give each other that same amount of respect because in a patient's mind, they're like, okay, if my doctor doesn't really like want to go to his dental appointments, it can't be that serious. So I shouldn't go to mine, right? Um, so it starts with attitude first and kind of like mutually respecting, like you should really keep up with your dentist appointment when was the last time you saw your dentist, things like that. Um, it also comes with, you know, for example, if far, for pharmacists in the emergency room, keeping an eye out for those frequent flyers that come in looking for antibiotics, like infections really should, they shouldn't really be coming in multiple times for the same infection. They should be treating the root cause, which would be like a tooth that's infected. Um, there's also a lot of, a lot of what I touched upon and like why I'm so passionate about educating pharmacists in particular about how cavities develop with the whole acid and pH and all that stuff is because that's really like the bread and butter of what I'm trying to get people to do. But you know, I'm not looking for perfection, right? I'm not even perfect. What I'm looking for and what I want patients to understand is the basic mechanics of plaque removal. So physically brushing off. You don't even have to use the fanciest toothpaste. I have patients that I've worked with um, for whatever reason, like maybe they can't afford the fluoride toothpaste. Just brush with water, just get that gunk off, right? Just get it off mechanically. Um, flossing, we're also mechanically trying to get rid of it. Um, and then another good counseling point that pharmacists can give is now that you guys understand the whole pH debacle, I know we all love pH in the healthcare field, You know, encouraging things like right after you eat, rinsing with water, instead of brushing, because when it's in a more acidic state, you want to be, you don't want to be brushing and eroding even more, right? So, okay, one last nerdy moment. There's something called the Stefan scale, which is basically the pH in your mouth. And so if you look at that curve, it basically shows that for 30 minutes after you ingest something, 30 minutes, maybe like even an hour, your pH is going to be super low. And that's that critical time zone where you don't want to be brushing with toothpaste. You especially don't want to be brushing hard with like a hard br bristle toothbrush or Charcoal toothpaste, that's like a new hot fad, right? Charcoal toothpaste is very abrasive. Sure, in some regards, some people say it helps get rid of stains, but ultimately, if you use it over and over and over again, you're going to be eroding more than you are doing good. Um, so kind of now that you guys understand that whole pH and how it's going to be low in that first 30 to 30 minutes to one hour after you eat, recommending just swishing with water, especially if you like coffee or something like that, don't brush right away. Just wait that 30 minutes to an hour. And I find that's kind of counterintuitive. Um, and then my last counseling point that pharmacists, it's so easy. You can recommend for patients um, to right after you brush with toothpaste with fluoride in it, don't rinse, just spit it out. I know it seems kind of weird at first, but you would be surprised how fast you get used to it because that really keeps the fluoride all in. Um, it's kind of like if you put sunscreen on your skin and then you wash it right off, like what's that doing, right? The sunscreen's not doing the thing it's supposed to do. The sunscreen's not sunscreening. So let the toothpaste toothpaste, just let it sit in there and spit it out. That can really help too. Um, 
And other than that, like I said, just kind of encouraging regular checkups. I feel like a lot of times patients think, and it, it makes sense, you know, they think like, if it's not bothering me, why would I go to get it seen? But I promise you, like down the line, get being proactive about dental caries and dental conditions saves so much money, so much time, so many sort of band-aid solutions, because there comes a point where you can only band-aid so much. I was just going to say, you know, we part of all that chronic disease state management is keeping your appointments or, you know, I, we're going to talk a little bit about addiction. It's sort of like, we have to have that relationship like you just talked about so that you keep coming back because like you said, patients come to the dentist because society says, and your doctor's saying, don't show up. I think we need to flip that script and say, look, there's toothpaste right over there. Like you can't do that at the doctor's office, right? We're literally in the place where all kinds of preventative care is and from a public health aspect to say, you can go get a, like, is your toothpaste new? You know, is your toothbrush new? You know, and again, maybe that's not a big deal either, but, um, or even saying, do you know this charcoal toothpaste is going to erode your, like, you know, just make a comment when people are there and say, hey, for your heart failure, you need to keep your, your, uh, you know, your doctor's appointments, but you also need to keep your dental appointments. Maybe I'm like fascinated to do a study on that to see if that would actually encourage people. And that might actually start a conversation about the underserved communities who, like you said, we treat dentals, we treat dental insurance different than medical insurance in the, you know, so everybody knows Medicare doesn't have dental insurance. It's been proposed, hasn't been passed. And that isolates a, a very large portion of our uh, folks who are at high, high risk of these complications. And I do have to say also that it means a lot, if not almost more coming from you guys. And I know that sounds funny, but it's because like, we're like a broken record, right? Everyone knows what to expect from us. Like they're, they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. The dentist is talking about flossing and brushing. So it doesn't really mean much, uh, as much coming from me, whereas someone that really like has less of a stake in it, right? Like you're not making money off of them going to the dental appointments. Everyone's kind of like, oh, like the dentist just wants to make money off of you. But to have the pharmacist, someone that is kind of like a not as biased, but healthcare professional that they're, the patient regularly sees, that's huge for them to be like, oh, like, you know what? I actually trust my pharmacist and what they're saying with that. Yeah, I think definitely advocating for other professions and other providers, whether it's pharmacist and dentist, and then also our other lovely providers that also do a lot of work in the community. So MDs, DOs, PAs, NPs, all of all of our other workers that really help to improve health in whatever space. I think advocating for those people and never trying to put other providers down because I think the public gets a lot of mistrust in the health system when they whenever they see things like that, whether it's online or whether it's like you said, a provider saying like, oh, it's fine. I skipped my dentist appointment too. So I really liked what you said about really lifting our other professions up and also emphasizing the severity of need that really is important to keep your appointments for whatever for whatever it is. I was going to say earlier, I felt like I was learning so many like little dental pearls that I can definitely be using for myself. I might need to kick my lemon water habit, but that is another topic, I'm sure. Side note, I love lemon water and kombucha. So what mm -hmm. I say for patients, because, you know, I feel like what is life without it, right? Like what's the point of having perfect teeth at the end of the life if you can't enjoy it? So mm -hmm. for that case, just swish with water, at least try to neutralize it maybe like sitting with water or like milk or something like that, or chewing gum during the day that helps with saliva production and neutralizing everything. Good to know. I'm going to have like three beverages out at all time now. <laughs> I feel like there's a very common kind yes, of like yes. image going, going online right now. It's like one to hydrate, one to caffeinate, and then one beverage for fun. And I'm yeah. going to have my 
I'm going to have my acidic beverage, my acid yeah. reducer, and my caffeine as well. That is going to be my new regimen to have on hand. I approve. We'll have to have like one, two, three. We can have, well, you can have your whole cup. This could be your company, right? You can yeah. have like, you know, one, two, three. You get like small, large, and your water, right? You know, like you see those giant water jugs that are like, you know, you start off with like 36 ounces or whatever yes. at the top of the day and you go down. You can be like, pause, wait 30 minutes. Yes. <laughs> now rinse. There we go. We heard it here. And of course, it'll all be regimen branded. It'll be great. So, yeah. yeah so I think we're going to transition a little bit into a different area of public health. And so one area that I think we talk a lot about that is very strongly related to public health today is harm reduction. Particularly for pharmacists, we have a lot of role and a lot of stake in promoting access to certain medications, such as buprenorphine, for example. And I wanted to bring this up because something interesting happened last early last year in January of 2022. And so for our listeners, um, during that time, the FDA released a drug safety communication related to buprenorphine at that time with a warning that dental problems were seen such as tooth decay, cavities, oral infections, or even loss of teeth were being reported with use of that product buprenorphine, um, specifically the ones that are dissolved in the mouth. So our sublingual and our buccal forms. And so this is a pretty serious warning, um, but the FDA does note that despite these risks, buprenorphine, as we know, is a very important treatment option for patients with opioid use disorder. Yeah, and so really with this medication that the benefits outweigh the risks. And so there is a very important caveat that people in this patient population may be disproportionately affected at baseline with this a potential reduced access to dental care. And so I would love to get your perspective on your thoughts surrounding this risk benefit assessment and the baseline access to dental care. Yeah, of course. I'm so glad that you guys brought this up because I feel like this is something that's not really before this, all of this, it wasn't really like mentioned as much. And this is like a really helpful intervention where like we can have actual you know, like meaningful impact interdisciplinarily. But so from my dental perspective from this, you know, I've seen some patients on buprenorphine. I've also, I've asked so many of my faculty about this too. With this whole issue, it's very, it's, it's very complex in the sense that these patients are also on so many other medications that may cause xerostomia. Like I said earlier, you guys both now know saliva is like the gold thing. Saliva is like, well, it's not the kidneys of the mouth, but it's, it's really important, right? Um, there's also things like they're taking medications that can cause bruxism, certain behavioral patterns, or even just, you know, you know medications aside, there's lifestyles in terms of like um, patient diet and how often they're seeing their doctor. So there's so many factors that it's kind of like, where do you even begin, right? And I think that the most meaningful intervention, because I, I, I do agree, the benefit of this really does outweigh the risk, right? The thing to keep in mind is just, you know, making sure that these patients are consistently, that they have a dental home, you could call it, like a regular dental provider that is aware of like what they're taking and then they can kind of customize their own sort of plan with it. Um, the main thing with buprenorphine is it's a very acidic drug. So like I said earlier, you guys know now how detrimental acid can be to the mouth, especially when you're keeping it in like a sublingual kind of situation, if it's um, in the saliva for quite some time. 
So knowing that now and knowing what we have to do, even just the simple recommendation of not brushing until an hour after taking buprenorphine, that can be huge. Patient education. You don't have to be like, so there's this thing called the Stefan scale. <laughs> like you don't have to like tell them all of that, but just advising them that they can rinse their mouth with water. It's such a simple solution that hopefully that they can integrate because at the end of the day, we recognize, you know, like this isn't, they have a lot of things going on. So I think just establishing that good dental home is just the first step. Um, everyone's mouth, everyone's treatment plan, everything is a little different. So in terms of recommendations from there, it's kind of tricky, but at least mitigating the risk from an acid perspective, that can be huge. Yeah, that's great. I think what a lot of pharmacists would probably want to know is, let's say I have a patient that is newly being started on buprenorphine and let's say they walk up to the pharmacy one day, pick up their very first script and they come and they say, I was, I was Googling this online. And the first thing that I saw is like, all my teeth are going to fall out of my head and kind of like this disproportionate worry. And so having information like that, to be able to say, here's some action that you could do to help mitigate this risk, I think is definitely a really important thing for those patients that are concerned about that risk. And then even for those that aren't aware of the risk and just um, being able to kind of address that. And I think just, you know, explaining to patients, I think um, for someone that's not, you know, like a healthcare professional, I think it's very easy to look and be like, I took this pill, then I got these cavities. That's what changed, you know, like you kind of form your own if then hypothesis. And so by starting by educating the patient that it's actually very multifactorial, it can be there are other drugs too, that, you know, are just happen to be working synergistically to create dry mouth or to create bruxism and unhealthy habits and in environments for your teeth. Um, I think that can be huge too, because then it takes away that kind of weight from the drug. Like we don't want this drug to be seen as like a bad drug, right? Like it can really help change lives, um, but kind of just taking the weight off of that. And then also, like you said, like explaining that there's a lot of factors. So then maybe they can look at how to approach it from the other factors. Like, oh, is there something I can do to reduce my, um, reduce my bruxism or reduce the amount, the frequency with which I'm snacking? That's another thing I, I didn't mention, but for anyone listening, Snacking throughout the day can also be something that can increase your cavity risk just because if you keep spiking your acid levels over and over and over again, putting your mouth, the more your mouth is in an acidic state, the more likely you are to have tooth decay. Um, and so that's why when I mentioned diet a lot, like there's this whole intake that we do, we look at um, you know, like how often you're snacking. Certain foods can be protective too. It's not all doom and gloom with like the sugar, right? So like things like proteins, and dairy, those can be actually cario instead of cariogenic, that's what we say when we say it causes cavities, they can be cariopotective. So they can help prote protect against cavities too. So maybe recommending beef jerky, I don't know. <laughs> and it's all there at the pharmacy. You can get your milk and your beef jerky and you can exactly. get your water. And you your water rinse. to squish and spit. I'm almost starting to imagine our mouth acid levels and kind of like our risk with that is almost like a glucose curve that we see yes. we're, we're monitoring with our patients with diabetes. I was going to say, maybe that's the intervention too, because we do see so many diabetes patients, and I'm sure you do too, in the dental clinic who yes. aren't managing their mouth because they aren't being told to do it because they have eight minutes with their primary care provider. They have like four minutes to do CGM or, you know, other monitoring uh, with their ambulatory care pharmacist, you know, adding in this oral health side of things, I think they may be at that health literacy level to understand having water's good, you know, reducing yeah. your glucose, all those types of, yeah, more pro, you know, you're, you're sort of using dentistry as a way to augment the things that we want them to do, you know, eat more proteins, don't snack as much, 
monitor your glucose, monitor your mouth acidity. So I think there's, there's a lot there. Exactly. There's so much potential for exactly how you said. It's kind of like once you start changing one little thing, so many other things change. I can't tell you the amount of patients where I've seen them like kind of transform um, in my chair where it's like, you know, one day they start maybe caring for themselves an extra two minutes a day by flossing like like once a week, right? And then that spills over to maybe three times a week. And then you just see their mind slowly change and it goes from being it, they, it goes from being from a place of like, oh, I don't have time for that to being like, oh, I deserve to take care of myself in this way. And then they start thinking like, what else can I do to take care of myself? So there's this really beautiful kind of thing that can happen when you start to change behavior and lifestyle. That's a great little snippet of advice, kind of like talking about what you said, the lifestyle and really be able, being able to modify that. And I think a lot of time is through motivational interviewing and all of that, all of that good stuff that we're all trained in in school. Um, but I kind of wanted to bring, uh, to loop the conversation back to what we were talking before with buprenorphine and access, because I think a part of that multimodal problem that we're facing with these patients is the question of, is this a patient population that isn't seeing a dentist regularly, whether that's because of access or whether they're not going for other reasons and maybe concerned, oh, what if I have to get dental surgery, concerned with pain treatments and all of that. And so I was wondering, in your opinion, are there any other populations that suffer from health disparities or inequalities, particularly in regards to oral health? And the reason why I ask that is because to see if there's any way that pharmacists can make interventions when maybe they see these populations at a more frequent basis where we can advocate for increased care and increased access as well. Yeah, totally. And the answer is that it's actually like the exact same populations where we have all these other healthcare disparities. It's like you can imagine, you know, if people are having a hard time, like getting their insulin or anything like that, they're also having a hard time then being able to see the dentist. And I find too, it's, it's just this horrible kind of cycle, because these are the patients that need our intervention the most the earliest because it's already progressed. Um, and so, I mean, even you mentioned things like uh, like dental deserts, for example, there are a lot of people without care. And so a big thing that pharmacists can do, um, you know, besides just keeping an eye out in the emergency rooms for like recurrent problems or besides, you know, giving those home care and things like that, is just kind of advocating for patients to take that extra step to look for different solutions. It's, it's tough because like, I know that I'm only limited. I can only go to so many clinics, right? Like I can't just open up a clinic anywhere. But what I found is a lot of patients oftentimes think that they're worse off than they already are. And just the thought of even being told that they have to have this whole regimen of like treatment now, that is overwhelming enough where a lot of people won't end up in the chair because of it too. And so what I find is like a lot of times people count themselves out before they even, you know, go in. Like I see so many patients that are like, I know, like doc, just tell me like, you gotta like rip out all my teeth. I'm like, not at all. That is not at all what I'm thinking. But the problem is that you know, like I've mentioned before, we're just really as a society not well educated on things like how cavities form, why periodontal disease happens. And so we as humans, we like to, you know, fill in the blanks, we jump to conclusions, we think like, oh my gosh, it's going to be so much worse. So long story short, the best way I, I, I wish I could like open up more clinics and things like that. But a good way that a pharmacist can help intervene is like I said, kind of like encouraging the patient that the the, the best step they can take is just getting themselves into the chair if they can, finding they do have nowadays, they do have um, like government set up clinics and things that they can go to in a lot of states. So that's like one way that we are targeting things. I know that nowadays they're coming out with more, um, 
they have like different Native American um, like tribal clinics that are popping up too. That's like a great way for patients to be seen. Um, but just kind of encouraging. And I mean, even the pharmacist can even help patients look these things up too. Um, if the if the patient feels so overwhelmed that they can't even like find that resource. So yeah, I think that's the biggest thing. Definitely. And what I was thinking while you were kind of talking about this was what a great opportunity for community health workers to play a role in this um, for all of our listeners or anyone unfamiliar. Uh, just last week, we released an episode on community health workers in pharmacies, which is really somewhat of an extension of social work that pharmacy technicians can be trained through in an accredited course um, to play a role in their communities. And I think this is a prime example of something that a community health worker would be stellar at helping is getting patients connected to the right resources, particularly in dentistry. So finding a clinic that takes their insurance or finding a clinic that would be affordable for them, I think definitely that would be a very important opportunity for those pharmacies that are lucky enough to have community health workers. But even if not, I think doing your due diligence and maybe taking a few minutes to try and help a patient get connected to any sort of dental clinic would be super important as well. I think something to note also is just that like, so if you're working with a dentist, a lot of times dentists, I mean, we understand like these these procedures are expensive. A lot of times too, we can kind of customize and step-by-step prioritize things in a timely manner because like tooth decay is actually like a pretty slow process, right? And that buys us a little bit of time. And so, I mean, if you see like, like a really good dentist can work with you and kind of be like, you know what, let's hold off on this treatment until the finances are there. But for now, the most cost-effective way and like the most pertinent thing that we should be treating is this, this, and this. They can kind of like, help patients because we understand patients aren't dentists, right? They don't know how to prioritize which step when, if you have a laundry list of 20 procedures, 20 different fillings and things you have to do, we can at least be like, you know what, let's hold off on those 17, those three, let's take care of now. That way you won't be in a situation where the tooth will bomb out down the road. And then we'll go from there. Like, I think patients, it helps patients to understand, like we can really work with you step-by-step and customize a plan that's affordable. We don't want you to go without any care. Some care is better than no care. (laughs) It definitely sounds like the training is very centered around a patient-centered approach, if you will, and making sure that you're meeting your patients where they are, and whether that's financially or in terms of their treatment goals. And speaking of in terms of your training as well, something I wanted to ask you because I was curious, I would love to kind of know what sort of training that dentists and dental candidates receive on all of the medications that can be related to oral health. So like we were talking about before with xerostomia and dry mouth. So anticholinergic medications, like certain depressants, um, some chemotherapy options. What is the training like for dental candidates these days? So the training is we get a couple classes in school in the, in the primary years before we start seeing patients, right? That's where we're learning about like the mechanisms, the pathways. It's kind of like pharmacology. It's definitely more a bridge than pharmacy school for sure. Um, but then what happens is a lot of times we go on rotations. For example, I had an oral medicine rotation where you actually see like the actual effects of different medications, like 
not just xerostomia, even like gingival hyperplasia or any sort of like discolorations or any sort of um, anything you can think of really. And then third and fourth year. So the first two years of dental school are all like textbooks, tests, lab works, practicing your hand skills. Third and fourth year, um, you basically start working in the clinic and you start treating your own patients. So you have your own roster, you start doing your own fillings and all of that. And that's where you really firsthand get to see, that's where I firsthand got to see the effects of different medications and things like that. Um, so a lot of the experience we get or the more valuable, the stuff that really sticks is more like third and fourth year once we are in clinic. Um, and also being on rotation, like seeing the patients. Gotcha. That's definitely really interesting because I think that as pharmacy students, like we're always tossing out those different side effects and we're always yeah. thinking about that. Um, so I was definitely just curious about what your training sort of entailed. So thank you for that. But I definitely think it's a really great topic to be able to kind of work together on. And so if there is ever a time when we do have a patient complaining of dry mouth or anything related to oral care, always making that recommendation to hey, maybe you should go see your dentist. If not, let's get you connected to one and all of that good stuff. So Bryn, what's the regimen for improving oral health? What a great question. And I think the regimen for improving oral health is definitely a multifaceted one. So really on a overall public health sort of level, I think that really improving access to dental care and advocating for increased dental coverage for payment options is definitely a really a big issue that needs to be worked on, um, but also helping your patients one by one and getting them connected to dentists and different clinics when they need it is very, very important. On another level, improving oral health can definitely be done in partnership with dentists and pharmacists as well. And so advocating for a lot of the things that our friends in dentistry have told us, such as our hot tips today, um, and really giving any of our patients that are more at risk for things like xerostomia, um, giving them some extra time and attention, counseling on ways to avoid that, um, and then also making sure that they have the adequate knowledge and skills that they need in order to take the best care of their mouth as they possibly can. So this really has been a been a great discussion today, and I really like to thank our guest, Dr. Connie Wang, for being here and for sharing her expertise and her many clinical pearls in this topic. And if you enjoyed our discussion today, please remember to go check out her podcast as well, and you could find just a quick pinch wherever you listen to podcasts. And once you listen to a catch up on all, all the back catalog of just a quick pinch. Uh, be sure to follow us for more. I think we're going to have like a monthly oral health. I think you're just going to be a guest that comes back every month, Connie. I mean, I really, love we, really need, we could do a whole series. We could have one just, just on lemon water, I think yes. is what we want. So if you, if you like this episode, there might be more in the future here. Be sure to follow at PharmD Pub Health on Instagram and Twitter and turn on post notifications so you never miss an episode. Smash that subscribe button now on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, Amazon Music, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks so much, everybody. Uh -huh.